Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Tortoise Podcast. We're going to do something a bit unusual in the podcast this week. Normally, we bring you stories that we've investigated, things like the murder of Daphne Caruana Galizia or the doctor who died trying to protect Vietnam from the SARS virus. But today, we're going to try and tell a story which is actually sort of about us, about Tortoise and our newsroom, and what we've thought about and argued about, and in the end, something that we're trying to do something about. And it's one of the great questions of the Western world, which is... Are our ways of doing politics broken? This parliament is a disgrace. I'll admit it feels almost ridiculous to sit here and ask that question. We're tortoise, we're tiny, we're a startup. And the question is huge. But if everyone runs away from it because it's too big, nothing is ever going to happen and nothing is going to change. So maybe somebody has to get stuck in. The beginning is always a good place to start, and from the beginning, one of the things which nagged at us was a famous British oddity. We're one of just a handful of countries in the world that doesn't have a codified constitution. We haven't really written it down. And it's something that, traditionally, we've been quite proud of. It's given us flexibility, we've said. It's allowed our politics to evolve pragmatically. But last year, the system seemed to be breaking and not bending. Some of our old assumptions seemed worth looking at again. So is it time to rewrite the Constitution? My fellow editor, Chris Cook, famously not a shrinking violet and somewhat of a self-proclaimed constitutional expert, weighs in. I actually wrote my university theses, plural, on... Plural. On uh, constitutions. How many volumes? There are two, it's two, two theses on constitution writing in Europe. And I'm a big fan of, of written constitutions. And I know roughly what I think a good constitution would look like. But there are two really big problems with, with the idea of imposing a written constitution on the UK. The first is that while I would like, you know, like the, the 1949 German constitution introduced into the UK, I'd be very happy with that. You have to appreciate that constitutions have to have legitimacy and they have to be popularly accepted. And my worry is, first of all, that the interest in constitution writing is largely a displacement activity for people who feel like their interests aren't currently served by the government as it currently exists. Or, you know, the, the, I, mean, I, I think there are really good reasons for wanting a habit of coalition building inside government, because I think it, it breeds a better, more honest and adult politics. But equally, 
wanting a coalition because it means that my side will get to have a say and it's really bad that my side will cut out a government I think is not a mature attitude to writing a constitution the other thing is so, you, so you, part of your disagreement is that this is simply not the right time it's completely the wrong time it's okay. complete, the other thing is fundamentally if you open up the argument about rewriting the constitution do it when your pals are in power right don't do it when people who have prorogued parliament citing in effect the idea that the executive should have the power to shut down the legislature are in power don't open up this as an avenue for them to explore because they will and it will go against you fundamentally when you've got executive power junkies in power do not embark on a bigger conversation about rewriting the constitution because you know what they'd love to okay so frankly you think we're wild to be thinking about this right now i think it's nuts okay thank you So I'm joined by James Harding, co-founder of Tortoise, who is one of the people behind this project who's very excited about it. Hi, James. Okay, (laughs) Basha. So last year, we had a load of people in our newsroom as part of a thinking, clever people who know about this stuff. And they all pretty much said, this isn't a great idea. So why are we doing it? Well, hang on, to be fair, they said, this isn't a great idea now, or this is (laughs) nearly... A good idea. So there were some of them, Supreme Court justices, who said, okay, we should codify the Constitution, but codification is a long and arduous process and we've got too much on our plate, Brexit. And there's some people who said, it's all very well to host a constitutional assembly and rethink the rules of our political game, but who's going to end up holding the pen? And if it's going to be a bunch of people who want to concentrate power in the executive and make sure that people have even less accountability and less power, then it's, a, then it's a bad idea. The reason, nonetheless, I think it's worth doing is that you can't sit around, even as a journalist, and let alone as a citizen, and just listen to people time and time again say to you, this isn't working. I don't feel my vote counts. I don't feel as though the things that I'm being promised by politicians are being delivered. I don't feel this system is fair and look across at inequality and the power gap and say, well, that's the way the thing works. I think our job is to say, we hear people saying it's not working. Let's put our heads together and think of something that's different. This is a big and complex undertaking, but it shouldn't deter us from trying. So this is a this is a sort of empowering process and a journalistic experiment in some ways. So wh- have we written the first line or what, what are we moving towards? What is the outcome of all of this? Personally, I've started asking questions. I don't have answers we don't have a you know we the people in our bottom drawer that we're going to you know blow the dust off and say here it is and so i suppose my first hope is that the questioning is really widespread we really start asking ourselves a bunch of decent questions and then practically speaking we pull together what we've heard We then go back to our members. We're going to listen more through the course of April. Um, And then our aim is that we're going to publish not a we the people, but a here are ideas for the future rules of the UK. And we're going to do that in June. That's the first real staging point where people can say, oh, my God, they've done a listening exercise. Look at the terrible, stupid things they've heard. (laughs) But ideally, I think, oh, that's a good idea. Why don't we try one of those? So it's grand, but incremental too. James, thank you. Thank you.
As James is our boss, he of course won the argument, and so we are looking at how to rewrite the rules of British politics. But before we run, let's walk. In Wigan, for the past several years, there has been a contract between the local council and its residents. It's a sort of constitution, if you will. It's certainly a set of rules and pledges. And my colleague, Matt Dancona, went there to find out more. Hi, Matt. Hi, Basha. Welcome. Thank you. So you've been in Wigan this week. Tell me what you found. Well, Wigan's really interesting because it has this arrangement called the deal, which actually came out of an emergency, really, which was when austerity started to bite, um, the council realised it was facing 40% cuts over seven years, um, which meant huge problems for frontline services. But very imaginatively, they responded to this with a kind of partnership. And basically what they do is they they offer local community groups and volunteer groups seed funding for three years. And then on a basis of trust rather than bureaucracy or a grant or the normal uh, kind of red tape system that mm. town halls use, they let them just go at it. So it's a real it's a real experiment in how to do politics and the social fabric of a community. And Matt, you met with one of the councillors involved in the deal. Uh, my name's Councillor Chris Reedy and I'm the Cabinet Member at Wigan Council for Communities and Neighbourhoods. In 2010, when we got the austerity measures that came in, I was sat in the Cabinet office and then the leader, who was Lord Smith at the time, said, can you come into my office with the Deputy Leader? I want to have a, uh, a word with you. So I thought, oh, I'm being sacked here. This is the first of the cuts. Uh, and he said, we've got to make £40 million cuts at that stage. So I want you to head up a community's kind of pot and I'm going to give you a million quid. At that point, I thought he'd actually lost his rocker. So the new way of working was that we would go to communities and say, oh, do you think this should be done? How can it make things work better? And we will invest in you. But it won't be a grant. It will be an investment. And at the end of it, uh, looking that they would become self-sustainable. Instead of us going uh, crying away and hiding ourselves in a room, we thought we've got to do something about this and do it differently. And we'll show the country what we can do different. And, and that's what we've done. Did you expect the response to be as positive and purposeful as it has been uh, we had an idea that we had a really good base in Wigan of people doing uh, volunteer stuff but we had no idea how it was because it was a change of culture for people uh, and when I say change of culture it, it was kind of us going to them saying look do something different here but you've got to give something back i.e. volunteers, not running services for us, but where we would have had to cut frontline services, some of that was taken over with volunteer and community organisations. You do your bit and we'll do our bit. Now, what we've done over the last seven years is froze council tax. So that was our bit. You recycle more and we'll invest in your community. So I think it was all that kind of guys with it. Do you think um, that this is a model that can be repeated elsewhere? Wigan's always been quite astute on finances, so we've always made sure we looked after the finances, even before austerity. When austerity measures came in, a lot of people buried their head in the sand and thought, this will go away in a year or two years' time. We had a, we had a finance meeting at that point and said, look, let's look at the worst scenario, 
let's get for that and which we did and so then we was ahead of the game so when we got the deal going and the community investment fund we was well geared up for doing that what we found with other other authorities who want to do it now they've not got that that back if you like of what what they should have done many years ago so if you like they might be five six seven years behind the game which is very hard to pick it up now because you're still picking austerity measures up even now and using reserves and what have you and i think it takes a lot to get people to believe in it but i think you've got to have that base to start from so i don't think there's anything stopping anybody doing it if they've got the will and they've got the community infrastructure there why not try and do it because it's the only way forward really I wanted to see how the deal worked in practice. So I met Danny McGarvey and Samantha Broxton, who manage a community centre in Hindley Library in Wigan. This is our voluntary round tea rooms where we serve drinks. A few years ago, we had an idea, basically. We wanted to transform the library into more of a community centre and bring the Hindley community together. Without the deal, really, that would have been very difficult. With many external funders, you need a lot of evidence uh, evidence we didn't have because it was just an idea at the time whereas the deal uh, are more believing in people and residents in the community rather than um, maybe looking at finances and, and, and things like that. What are the actual services that you offer here what do you offer to the community? So uh, the main thing obviously we have chapter one tea rooms which is a, a voluntary run placement uh, for people to gather skills and we try and offer people opportunities that they wouldn't necessarily have have access to without us being here. What's so fascinating about here is that the answer you've found is is to liberate people's talent and trust it. Were you conscious that you were taking part in something very interesting? I think we've been part... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Part of a really exciting time. It's quite refreshing for, for someone to actually be... Uh, sort of believing in us 
as to maybe looking at, at, at the monetary side of things. You spend a lot of time in different places and, and they have these sort of uh, buzzwords and you know they have these mission statements and stuff, but th- this that's real for the deal. It, it, it's, a, it's really about saying, looking into people and saying, look, what are you good at? What can you? What strengths? What can you? How can you grow? How can you? How can you improve the offer rather than just going? Well, what can we do to sort of you know appease people? It's about saying, look, these people are there offering things in the community. If we invest in that, it'll grow. You can probably tell from my slight regional accent that I don't necessarily come from Wigan, uh, so I spend time in other boroughs, uh, and I think it's hard when you're in the borough to 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 see how different it actually is and when you go out into other councils and you see how other councils behave and how other councils do things it's very unique and it is very special what Wigan offers. What do you think about the future of the project? How much funding do you have and what are your thoughts about what lies ahead? So we're actually coming towards the end of our third year of our final year of funding. A lot of the evidence we've managed to build over the past few years through the deal um, has enabled us to apply for funding that we probably never would have been able to. And as far as the future is, we will continue doing what we do um, because we, over the years, have got some fantastic volunteers, uh, fantastic support from our community and residents. People want the best for the communities wherever they are, no matter where in the country, no matter what the political views are. This country that has got talent everywhere, in every on every council estate, on every uh, supported accommodation. There's people who people are good at things. Uh, they are. That's a fact. People are good at things. We're just able because of what the council have done to be able to give them a platform to be able to show that. So from your time in Wigan, what did you learn? Well, it, I came away quite inspired, to be honest. Um, That's good. It, it was good because I think it's very easy in these uh, exercises when you're talking about the Constitution for it to become very abstract. And this was people doing their own thing and doing it with real passion. I think also it's worth noting that none of this change that we're discussing, none of the things that we're, the reforms we're discussing at Tortoise will work without this kind of social regeneration. Um, you can do whatever you like with rules, but they have to be enacted by people. And my takeaway from Wigan was it's possible. And what's interesting is they have so much, they're doing so much consulting now for communities all over the UK. So I, I was fascinated by that and, and rather uplifted. Matt, thank you. My pleasure. So like Matt, some of my other colleagues have also been out on the road and they're here with me now. So Kerry Thomas, Polly Curtis and Chris Cook, and they've been talking to people around the country about how we might fix British politics. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, welcome. So where should we start? Polly, you, you were one of the sort of founders of this idea, along with Matt and James. Do you want to sort of kick us off? with what you learned. Yeah, so I was in Grimsby and I was thrilled that Matt went to see the Wigan deal and how that's worked out because really that's what Grimsby people were asking for. They weren't particularly interested in what was happening in Westminster. What they really focused on 
was the idea of social contract. Who does what? Who's responsible for what? Where should the welfare state set, uh, kick in? And that comes from a place where before the election, we really heard in Grimsby that kind of sense of being left behind, underfunded. But it's also could be said that Grimsby is a place that could prove the current system works if the levelling up does happen. And what were the sort of, were there specific ideas about how to renew that sense of social contract? So specifically, they wanted it to be a releasing of power, not just from Westminster to local, but from local to communities. They're saying, look, can can we skip local government? Can they actually share the power? And by that, they mean the funding so that communities can fix things for themselves. So really, they want to change the role of the state in their lives. And I, I think it's quite interesting because it's like the logical conclusion from where the big society left us, you know, cut back state services, charities kick in. And now the charities and local communities are saying, actually, we we deserve a bigger role in this. Kerry, what did you learn? I think you, you, know, you did have this sense of Cardiff very different from Grimsby, obviously, because in a certain sense, it is a it's a it's a centre of power, devolved power within Wales. It's it's a city that's come a long way in the last couple of decades, unlike in other places where there's been a feeling of sort of slipping back. Yeah. There's definitely a feeling of some progress. A couple of really interesting things came up. One was a man who'd spent his life in the trade union movement made a sort of what felt like quite an important point about whether it's pluralism that's broken rather than politics that's broken. And if we try to fix our politics without re-engaging with the idea that we, we need to try to be a sort of pluralist society where you know, all views are given space and taken account of, are we doomed to fail? Um, there's obviously many ways that you could enhance pluralistic processes, but one way that crosses my mind would be to radically alter the House of Lords, create it into a smaller vehicle that just concentrated on technical and um, legal issues, and then transfer some of those powers to a third um, um, assembly that would be a, a national and a, and a regional structure where... Um, Members of the public would be invited to to take part to make sure that it reflected uh, a proper sample of of society. Basically a feedback process to ensure that um, politics isn't based on a a majoritative process but is actually taken into account uh, the broader spectrum of of the country. One of the themes that we talked about is how do you you fix short-termism in politics? horizons are too close all the time so there's an act they've passed in wales called the well-being of future generations act which places a duty on public bodies publicly funded organizations that they have to take into account the economic social environmental and cultural i think well-being of future generations in whatever they do and the only sort of effect of that so far has been to stop the widening of the M4 because the case wasn't through between Newport and Cardiff. So a lot of the people in the room were quite proud of the fact that they'd found a mechanism that incentivised politicians to look further ahead than the next two or four years. Great. On the other hand, there's a load of commuters around Cardiff and Newport who are just totally (laughs) furious with the whole thing. Chris, what did you learn on your tour of... Belfast. Oh, Belfast. I went to yeah. I was I was cheerfully in Belfast the night that the um, local airline collapsed. So that was a <laughs> that was a delight. How did you get back? 
we got an earlier flight actually it was, was no problem at all um the <laughs> drama queen yeah <laughs> i think the the important thing about northern ireland is it it has had a rules-based political system since 1998 since the good friday agreement so i thought it was useful to get their the perspective of the of our belfast members because they they start if you like down the track and they have thought about things that we've not had to think about in the rest of the uk and, and so. was there a sense in the room there that that politics is broken and that we need new solutions yeah on a national on a sort of uk-wide level definitely there's sort of a real sense of detachment but at the same time that partly comes from actually it's a sort of similar thing with the cardiff thing i suspect it's that their politics now happens in stormont the big thing that came through was there were two big things that came through one was um, a real worry about the caliber of people in politics and some a lot of the conversation was about how you how you prevent the politics being monopolized by just you know insiders but but so what were those ideas about how to get so they thought if you had a properly codified process you might it might be easier for people to follow through how they get into it was one of the big things right. and actually if you have a proper sort of simple process it may be make it easier for outsiders to access politics People um, talked a lot in the different rooms about the routes into Parliament being rigged or a sense of like they're hidden hmm. from how you actually do it. There was a lot of conversation in the thinkings I was in about representation and how you encourage more diversity. It's always been Labour, hasn't it? Mm. It always has. Mm. But I think that's what's happened with the fishing industry in the town. You know, since the fishing went, that's it. The town's just deteriorated, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And these politicians don't don't care about this town. They don't. They only care about the cities. You know, spending the money there. That's the way I feel. Obviously, we've got this confluence now of a blue council, a blue MP, and a blue government. We've got an opportunity to pull some money in there, but I don't think that really. This is just this little sort of moment that we can exploit to get some cash that we should have been having anyway, and I don't think that improves or does anything really to our sense of what it is to be represented. How do we impact on what happens in our communities and who presses the buttons and pulls the levers of power? Okay, so I'm now going to put you slightly on the spot. But so we talked about lots of sort of ideas and, and topics that people thought they might want to see some change in. What was the sort of one thing, one idea or one thing that somebody said during the thinking that that made you feel genuinely excited that you thought oh yeah blimey that could actually really work mm. Kerry the stand I, I think exciting might be stretching it but um <laughs> it, it was really nice to see to, to be involved in a discussion about politics that at least challenged the idea that everything is broken uh, you know the arguments about the pros and cons of the well-being of future generations act will go on but I think it is a positive to see a devolved parliament acting as a kind of laboratory of democracy. Thank you all very much. That was fascinating. Thanks, Basha. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Basha. Yay. <laughs> there's always a bit in every podcast where I go, thank you, and then there's like a pause. I hope that this episode has left you feeling a bit hopeful, a bit optimistic that there might be ways to change the way that we do politics. And if you'd like to join us in this perhaps quixotic quest to rethink the rules, you can visit tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend 
and use the code POD50 to join our newsroom for half the regular price. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.